we're in a series, uh, ironically, called Regift, um, and the whole idea is that God has given us these uh, precious gifts, the gift of hope, the gift of peace, the gift of joy, the gift of love, uh, the gift of grace, right? The gift of uh, the fruits of the Spirit, and the, the idea is that we don't just hoard them. The idea is that we get these gifts and we re-gift them. It's out of the abundance of God's favor towards us, out of the abundance of God's love towards us, that we, we receive those things and then we give them out again. We become, uh, uh, well, the, the word Christian just means little Christ. We become Christ wherever we go. And so we bring healing, we bring love, we bring peace, we bring um, uh, a sense of calm, Right? Those are the things we get. Well, uh, this morning, I want to talk to you about, about hope. And uh, every time football season starts, uh, all the teams have one thing in common. Hope, right? And then Tom Brady shows up and dashes that hope. No, okay, sorry. No more Tom Brady. <laughs> so, but they all have it. You know? and, you, and you might use the term hope a lot. Like, I hope... You know, I can not gain 10 pounds during the holidays. I hope my in-laws, you know, can show up. I hope, you know, whatever. I hope, I hope we can make it. I hope uh, I get that bonus. I hope, I hope, I hope. But what happens when you lose hope? What happens when you get into a time in your life when you have no hope at all? Many of you know our story. Uh, after I left uh, business to go into full-time ministry. We moved out of our house in Lakewood and we rented a house in Garden Grove and uh, we um, began to notice in our son that he would stare off into the distance, right? Which is no big deal because I do that all the time. Uh, and, and so we try to, hey, hey, you know, pay attention, pay attention. At first you're just thinking he's either ignoring you or whatever. Um, and uh, so we started to get more and more um, kind of worried about it and so we went to go have him checked out and uh, he did an EEG and um, the neurologist came I, I, I took him and the neurologist came into the waiting room and said I was I just remember exactly where I said I was in because it was pediatric so I was in one of those little tiny chairs which is just humiliating to begin with you know I was like I feel like I was at the principal's office and he says um, your uh, your son has epilepsy and uh, those are little seizures that he's, uh, he's having. And, uh, and then he said, I'll never forget, he, he said, this is going to be a really long journey. And so, you know, to get the information, it was a blow for sure. But I didn't really know what it meant, right? I didn't know. I, I, and I asked him, I said, Can we, like, is there medication for that? Or he said, yeah, yep, we're going to start him off on this one medication, so we had hope. We had hope that that was going to solve it. And we heard from different people, oh yeah, my niece had epilepsy. They put her on this pill and she had never had a seizure since. Well, uh, so the, those, the, that, that, didn't, that medicine didn't work. Then he was allergic to the next medicine, which meant he was allergic to like three of the other ones that we would have used. Then that, that didn't work. And then the next medication didn't work. With each medication, there was a little bit of hope. Like, maybe this will be the one. They just haven't dialed it down enough. And um, so we, uh, 
uh, the seizures started getting worse. And so it wasn't just staring off into the distance. It was like full-blown seizures. And uh, they happened uh, sometimes once every couple weeks, sometimes once a week. Uh, just depends. Sometimes he'd have, he'd, they'd cluster. And uh, man, I, I, I began losing hope. And I, it was hard for me to pray. People would say, oh, Pastor John, we're praying for you and Jesse. And I, to just being honest, if I can be honest, we're friends, right? Okay. Part of me was just like, don't, don't worry about it. You, you don't need to pray. We've already done that. We've already tried that. So the seizures started getting worse. And, um, and so we, we, we took him to uh, get some bigger tests. There's a test called an MEG, and it's a, it's a room full of magnets, essentially. And they cart him in, and he has to be sleep-deprived. So, so he has to go 24 hours without sleeping. And uh, here's a picture of him um, getting, getting ready to go in there. They got, they got all his... All, uh, that's not his brain, by the way. Those are wires. Okay, good. I, uh, you guys look scared. Um, and uh, so he's just super tired right there. And he's, he was just a champ. And he... I mean, he's had... I don't know how many MRIs, fMRIs, the, this mag. So he goes in there and they're mapping out his brain and trying to figure out, you know, what, what's going on and... I'm just like, in the back of my mind, I'm just like, man, I don't, I don't know. I, I, I was losing hope. I wasn't quite at the end. And so, uh, for some reason, they stop. So, so this test, this was a pre-op test. We were going to try to do brain surgery. And they stopped. And they stopped for like two months. But I, I, couldn't, I couldn't muster this up. I, I, I was like, ah, we'll, we'll see. And two months became four months, became six months, became eight months, became ten months. And I started hoping, maybe this is it. Maybe he grew out of it. That was what other people would say, that when you reach puberty, you grow out of epilepsy. None of these people were doctors, by the way. <laughs> so... So, but that went, anyway. So um, here he is. Uh, here he is going going into the going into the machine. There, this is his second MEG. Um, so he goes ten months, and on Christmas Eve he seizes. And I remember uh, Lisa and I just in our bed, just crying because they weren't over, and I completely. Utterly lost hope. I was just like, there's no way. I wasn't, I wasn't mad at God. I wasn't questioning my faith. I wasn't like, how, how can you do this? I, just, I was so comfortable in the sovereignty of God that I just kind of reserved to like, why, why not me? Like, what makes me so special that, that we go through life without any difficulty? And so we, we lost hope and I... Uh, and it was like, man, everything just felt like going through the motions. And, um, and then one day, I was at an annual conference. So our, our denomination, uh, we're in the Southern California Conference. Every year, all of the churches from Southern California get together and we vote on stuff and talk about stuff. It's really cool, actually. Uh, I would encourage anybody, anybody's invited to go. 
So we're there, and uh, my friend, his name's John Hansen. He is a pastor of the church in Marietta. He gets up and he says, I want to talk to you pastors. And he said, some of you are out there. He, he teaches at a larger church, our largest church. Um, it's like 2,600 people. Um, so we, we're almost there, guys. Almost there. <laughs> if you guys invite just like, I don't know, 2,400 people. We're going to, I want to call him up. Dude, we got you. So he, uh, he says, some of you have lost hope. And it just like hit me like a wave. And he's like, I want to tell you that the Lord can bring, restore that hope. And it's time to hope again. And like it happened in a second in my mind, it was like, we're going for the brain surgery again. And so we began that process and, uh, and all of the different things. And that kid has been poked and prodded and probed and shaved. And <laughs> poor kid. And uh, so we had three years ago or so, we had, he had the brain surgery. And he's, he's been seizure-free since the brain surgery. He's still on medications, but oh, yeah, it's really awesome. Trust me. Trust me. Um, and so, uh, but... What was fascinating to me is prior to anything changing, there was something about hope. There was something about just the inkling of a possibility. Now, in a group this size, probably none of your kids have epilepsy. But you might be in a marriage that's at the brink of losing hope. You might be in a relationship or in a job or your finances or whatever. Just at a place where you're just like, I, I, don't, I don't know if I can muster this up. And what I want to do this morning is I want to talk a little bit about the source of hope. Jesus. And I want to talk about how we look into that hope even in the midst of there seeming not to be anything. Maybe our circumstances don't look like there's any possibility they can change. And what do you do in, that, in, that, in the midst of that? What do you do in the midst of uh, difficulty? So um, we're going to be jumping into about four different sections of Scripture. We'll be in each one briefly because um, both Peter and Paul really got this concept down of our hope being found in Jesus Christ. But it starts... All the way back in Isaiah, there was a prophet in what we call the Old Testament. It's just the Old Testament is just a collection of writings that were before Jesus. Okay, so that's why I guess they call them old. Of course, Jesus is like 2,000 years ago, so I would just call the whole Bible the Old Testament now. But whatever, no one's listening to me. Um, Or just call it, you know, Isaiah. So this prophet Isaiah is writing to these people who have no hope. They don't have any hope. And he's trying to explain to them that they can hope. Now, this was, 700, this was written 700 years before Jesus came on the scene. And this is what um, Isaiah says. Yeah, that'd be awesome. The people walking in darkness have seen a great light. Thank you so much. On those living in the land of the shadow of death... A light has dawned. Something's coming. There's some hope around the corner. 
I'm hoping that when uh, we get to the end of this this morning, that you will have maybe just a glimmer of hope when things look their worst. So this is Isaiah talking about this 700 years before Jesus comes. And then Jesus comes on the scene. And in Matthew, Matthew starts quoting about Isaiah, about Jesus. And so it's just a really cool tie to see this, this, this prophecy about Jesus coming 700 years before. And then, and then Matthew writes, this is being fulfilled right now. And here's what Matthew says. Here is my servant whom I have chosen The one I love in whom I delight, I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. Now you'd think about somebody who's declaring justice. You think of a a very like bold and powerful and kind of riding in on a horse. But the very next verse describes him. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed. He will not break. A smoldering wick, he will not stuff out. Snuff out till he leads justice to victory. There was a, probably a whole year, and we didn't really talk about it much at church. Uh, I was a bruised reed. I was a smoldering wick. And yet, even in those darkest times, the Lord came sustained us, gave us strength, and just a tad bit of hope. Some of you today might be a smoldering wick. You might be like, man, John, I just came to church because I just don't know where else to turn. You might be a bruised reed, and you're just like, man, I just feel like, you know, a bruised reed. You ever seen a a reed that's sticking up, and if if it gets hit, it'll just bend over? And Jesus is here to tell you that's okay. You're in this time, but I will not let you be snuffed out, and I will not let you be broken. So he says this, this bruised wheat reed he will not break, a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he leads justice to victory. And then it says this incredible wrap-up in verse 21. In his name, the nations will put their hope. Oftentimes, we are hoping for something. I was hoping that the pills would help my son's seizures. And you might be hoping for something. You might hope that you, you find your spouse. You know, maybe you're looking for a spouse and you just, you hope that it's at this next party or at this next gathering or something like that. Maybe you hope you're looking for another job. You hope that someone would respond to one of your resumes or you hope for, um, you know, a different set of circumstances. My goal this morning is to have you change it that it's not what you're hoping for, it's who you're hoping in. And if you're hoping in Jesus... And you are a bruised reed or a smoldering wick. You will not be broken and you will not be snuffed out. He can sustain you through when there's no hope. He is our hope. See, what I want us to see is that in what we call a kingdom perspective... When we hope for something, when we hope for the job, for the car, for the house, for the insert, whatever, our eyesight, our minds are on this earth, on the physical. 
When we hope in somebody, in Jesus, as a matter of fact, all throughout the scriptures, when it talks about hope, it's not hoping for something. It's hoping in our Heavenly Father or in Jesus. And when we do that, then we begin to put everything else into perspective. So even in the midst of the difficulties we had with our son, there were times, very few times, for me personally, at least it does this much better than me, where I could, I could shift my attention back on the Lord and go, it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. He can handle this. He can sustain this. Even if nothing changes, I know that my God loves me. And I know that although I'm a smoldering wick or a bruised reed, I'll not be broken and I'll not be snuffed out. In his name, the nations will put their hope. Now, Peter, I told you we'd be kind of hop, hopping along the, hopping along the, New, the New Testament. Uh, Peter got this. Peter understood. Peter was around Jesus through his whole ministry. He's one of the first disciples. And Peter struggled because Peter wanted something. He wanted the freedom of Israel. He wanted a, a Messiah to come and bring justice, to come and to take the, 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 the occupying country and kick them out. He wanted victory. He was hoping for victory. And over the years, as Jesus began to open his eyes that it's not happening that way, Peter. It's not going to, it's not, we're doing something totally different. Your, your eyes are on the wrong kingdom. And so I'm always fascinated to read Peter post-Jesus. Like now this is Peter who's approaching Jesus like you and I approach him. Through prayer, through the Holy Spirit, through uh, all, all these different things. And here's what Peter says. Praise be to God. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope. See, this is something that can be accessed all day. This can be accessed no matter what the thing. It's a living hope. It's not just a one-time deal. I raise my hand. I accept Jesus into my heart. And I say, oh man, this is sweet. I'm going to heaven. And then the rest of my life, I'm just walking around anxious and, and, and you know, worried and uh, angry and all that kind of No, it's a living hope. It's, I can bring that hope into all my situations. He says, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. See, because Jesus rose from the dead, we have that power of the resurrection. And there is hope that he can reach us when we feel like we're almost broken. Like we're almost snuffed out. It's a living hope. Isn't that great news? So, so, so here, here's, here's the thing that's fascinating to me. When I have no hope, which I didn't. What if I just focus my attention on Jesus, the author, and the living hope? And then I begin to see, okay, these situations that I'm in, these difficulties, and I'm, I'm here to tell you as honestly as I possibly can, I didn't handle a lot of that very well. I, it was difficult for me to turn my attention on Jesus. We were going to the next doctor's appointment, the next thing, the next diagnosis, the next, it was just like push, 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 push. There's no need to pray because we have a doctor's appointment and that'll give us hope. But my hope was not in 
Jesus working through these situations, it was for something instead of in someone. Here's how Isaiah puts it. This is um, 31 chapters past what we read about him. He gives strength to the weary. If you're weary today, he's your source of strength. He increases the power of the weak. If you feel weak today, he's your source of strength. Even youths grow tired and weary, and young men stumble and fall. Isaiah's painting this picture that, that we're broken people, that, that maybe we're not supposed to be able to handle this stuff. I, I was telling, somebody uh, wrote me an email or text this week, and uh, he's just going through it. And he says, I know God won't give me more than I can handle. And I didn't have the heart to tell him, he absolutely will give you more than you can handle. He just won't give you more than he can handle. And so when you, yeah, you can, you can applaud that. So you, you look and you're like weary, weak, uh, tired, stumble, fall. You get this sense of like, man, we're broken. What, how, how am I going to get out of this? Am I going to make myself strong? Am I going to pull myself up by my bootstraps? Am I going to say, you know what? Um, uh, you know, praise the Lord that Jesse has seizures. I know it's all for good and something good's going to come out of it. Uh, no. Watch what it says after this. I'm going to read this one again. He gives strength to the weary and increases the power of the weak. Even youths grow tired and weary. And young men stumble and fall. Well, what, what, what's the, how do you fix it? But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Those who hope in the Lord. This is difficult to do when you're in a situation. When your marriage has got about a week left. And you go, man, I don't know what, what we're going to do. But if we can shift our focus. If we can get on our knees. If we can say, God, I have no hope but you. You're the only thing I have. It'll renew our strength. We'll soar like wings on, uh, on wings like eagles. We'll run and not grow weary. We'll walk and not become faint. We're going to switch to Paul now. Because Paul's talking about this too. And he talks about, you know, how he came to Christ. And what he's trying to do to, to encourage the, uh, Roman, the church in Rome. He says this, Therefore, since we've been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so he's saying, look... The transactional part is done. We've, we've, Christ has died on the cross. We have accepted that as the forgiveness of our sins. But then watch. He goes on and he says, Through whom we have gained access by faith into this grace in which we now stand. And we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That hope of the glory of God is not heaven. Heaven's a part of it. 
The hope and the glory of God is the fact that he can sustain us through whatever we're going through. That he can sustain us through the darkest of times. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I fear no evil, for thou art with me. Here's what he says. Because you think, well, if I, if I hope enough and I follow the Lord enough, maybe all my circumstances will turn around. Here's what he says. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings. Because we know that suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance, character, New American Standard says proven character, and character, hope. And the next verse is so awesome if we can just get it into our brains. It looks like Paul's saying to us that, look, you are going to get some sufferings. They're coming. But God's not going to waste them. He's not going to just, you're just going to have pain for pain. If, if, you can, if you can, in the midst of that, set your hope fully on Jesus, he's not going to waste that, those sufferings. He's not going to waste those times. Watch what he says. And hope does not disappoint us. It's not going to let us down. A smoldering wick, he's not going to snuff out. A bent reed, he's not going to break. Because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. He goes on in Romans chapter 15. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him. So that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. If you are looking for something to happen, you hope something will happen. I believe that you're missing the true strength of the source of hope, Jesus. That we trust in him. We say, God, I don't know. I don't, I don't know. Your ways are higher than mine. This situation is not very good. <laughs> I almost, that would have been embarrassing. <laughs> right? You, can, you tell him, I don't, I don't like it. I want it to change. I don't think I can make it. And you begin to sense the hope of Christ. I got you. Oh, we can handle this together. It's going to be okay. You're going to be okay. I'm going to see you through it. 